I, uh, I love it when he said they're not going to stop preaching the gospel because they know too much. Hey, before we get into the message, can we pray for the church in Afghanistan real quick? Father, we want to come into agreement, Lord, with your heart over the Afghanis church and uh, the believers over there. Um, we know they've suffered. Uh, we know that um, some of them have escaped, some of them are still hiding, and some of them are still boldly preaching the good news. We ask that your hand would be upon them. We're thankful, God, that what the enemy means for bad, you are excellent at turning it for good. And we pray that over our Afghan, Afghanistan brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, we come alongside them in uh, prayer, and we say, embolden them, protect them, strengthen them. Somebody say amen. amen. Has anybody just sensed like there's an increase of spiritual battle and war going on in the church? I mean, and in the, over the nation, over the planet. It's like it's increasing and increasing. And, uh, and somehow in America, in some ways, I feel like we've been insulated from spiritual warfare. I remember a few years back when I was in Israel and uh, <clears throat> Brenda and I were sitting in our room. and I said, can you feel it? And she said, feel what? I said, can you feel the clashing over the, the city of Jerusalem? There is a spiritual battle. You can almost tangibly feel the demonic and the angelic fighting over the destiny of Israel. We talked about it. And one thing I, I just want to encourage you, because I am going to talk about this intense persecution that's coming on church on the, all around the globe. Um, America is no longer insulated from persecution. There is an increasing tolerance towards anti-Christ and Christian antics and attitudes in America. Last week, I, I, or a couple weeks ago, I shared about the boy that got suspended from school uh, because he texted to uh, a, cl a classmate, I believe there's only two genders, and he's... He's uh, expelled from school, or suspended from school. Um, here recently, in October, a woman in Houston, the police came to their door, knocked on the door, and said, we understand you're, ha you're passing out tracts, gospel tracts, to children who are trick-or-treating. She said, yes, I am. He, he said, this is against the law, and if you keep doing it, we'll arrest you. That's, that's in Houston, Texas. Um, in Wisconsin, there's a Freedom From Religion Foundation that distributes anti-Christian pamphlets to the public school children. Anti-God, anti-Christian, basically say you don't need God to be good. That's the title of it. Our entertainment industry and syndicated media increasingly are vilifying Christians as some, at one point somebody called us sewer rats. Somebody else called us vultures. Another person called us simple-minded social ingrates. The FBI and our current administration have branded fundamentalist Christian groups as hate mongers and political terrorists. If you think persecution is staying over in the Middle East, I think we have another thing coming. And as much as I could say... That's bad news. I want to tell you, it's not necessarily bad news. Because we know that Jesus came on Christmas right into the spiritual battle. You were born for this battle. You were born for this battle. And you're on the earth in this hour for this very battle. And it's a spiritual battle. It's not in the natural. Even though we experience the natural things, this battle is not advanced or won for the Christians through bullets. Even though sometimes we feel like it, right? Right? 
It's not going to be advanced through ballots, even though it's our responsibility to vote, and I believe in influence in our government. What is going to influence our nation for Christ is Bible-believing Christians who are bold in faith, in their witness, and in prayer. Amen? And so what we've been in this passage in John chapter 13 through 16 simply because the Holy Spirit is trying to help the church in America get ready and be prepared for a hostile environment. And, and the disciples, like, it was crazy how Jesus taught them. He ex- was an example for them. And then he sent them out and they accomplished incredible things. It's, it's stunning. Hundreds and thousands of people came into the kingdom in a hostile environment to the point in 300 years, the Roman Empire was turned upside down and constantly declared Christianity the religion of the nation, which turned out not to be so good. But the point is, I want us to look at the apostles and disciples because I feel excited, not about persecution, but excited what God is up to in the church right now. I believe he's preparing us for our best day. I, I, this is not a doom gloom message, even though I'm talking about suffering. I believe the book of Acts is for us. Come on now. Come on now. We were, we were created for the book of Acts. And I, I believe that the best days are ahead. The bride will have made herself ready. Bill says this all the time. Jesus is not coming back for a broken down old hag. He, he's coming back for a bride who's made herself ready. And I believe this season is preparing us to be that bride. I want us to look at the disciples because Jesus taught them and then sent them out. And in Acts chapter 5, I want to tell a quick story or a, a, a record account. Um, they were out there uh, blessing people with healing. People were getting healed. People were getting delivered. The presence and power and the glory on Peter was so significant that wherever he walked, the glory cloud went with him. And people would like, oh, he walks right here every day, three, six, nine. And they would line people up so that the glory cloud, the shadow would heal them. And, uh, and they were amazing. Things. Uh, it says in, in verse 14, multitudes were coming into the church day by day. And, uh, and of course, this made the high priest angry. He arrested them. And and they brought them before him. And this is where we're going to pick it up real quick. Verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in the name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. And then Peter goes on and he Man, I love the anointing on Peter when he preaches. And I want you to notice something. He doesn't acquiesce on the truth. He doesn't try to make the religious leaders feel good. He doesn't water down. Look at what he says. He says, verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Of course, this enraged 
the religious Jews, and they intended to kill him. There's a, a discussion that goes on, if you read it, between Gamaliel and talks to them about, hey, if, you're going to, if you go after these guys, you might be battling God, and that's not a good plan. So they didn't kill them, but this is what they did, Acts 5.40. And I want you to look at the disciples' response. They flogged them, which actually means they took whips, leather strips, put tied on uh, bones and metal, which opened up the flesh when it whacked you in the back. And they flogged them, and then it says, ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing. You guys don't look like you're happy. (laughs) Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. What changed this eclectic group of Jews who were hiding into transform them into this lion-hearted, resolute, unconquerable group of people that changed their nation? Change their cities. That's what I want to talk about today. What changed them? The first thing we know is the power of the Holy Spirit. Say the power of the Holy Spirit. How many know we need that? How many know we need more? I think our church, I think the church in America is ready for a good outpouring. I'm like, I'm leaning into that. Lord, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But the other thing was, look, look at this. They understood the connection between suffering and the glory of God. They understood this connection. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. And when he's with you, he's going to remind you of things that I've taught. One of the things he taught was Matthew 5, 11 and 12. He said to them, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward. Where? Somebody say in heaven. In heaven. It's great. For in the same way, they persecute the prophets who were before you. In John 17, if you have your Bibles, if you turn there real quick. John 17, this is a transition. Jesus is transitioning from the upper room to what many scholars call is the high priestly prayer. And so you can almost imagine he's going to go to the cross, but before he goes to the cross, he goes where? To the Garden of Gethsemane, right in the Mount of Olives. Brendan and I have been there. It's actually about a quarter mile walk from the city of Jerusalem, um, right on the hill there. And right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, it's that place where he agonizes before the Lord. But as he's going, I'm sorry, as he's going, he's praying. And John, who's tight with Jesus, he just had his chest on Jesus's, or his head on Jesus' chest during the breaking of bread. And John is, I imagine John is walking right beside him. And Jesus is praying. He's praying for the disciples. He's praying to the Father. He's like, he's opening up his heart. You're going to see, as we go through John 17, we're not doing it all today, but you're going to see the heart of Jesus. Have you ever prayed with somebody and go, oh, that's who you are? That's what's going on inside of you. Jesus opened up his heart in prayer. And one of the things we don't know about that culture, uh, or maybe you do know, uh, but they memorized. 
They memorize, they memorize. In fact, by the time they are 12 and maybe 16, somebody who knows that culture, Hebrew culture, can correct me. They had to memorize the first five bucks, books, books, books of the Bible, the Torah. And so these, these people knew how to memorize. So Jesus is walking and praying, and John is walking and memorizing. And that's what this, this, this chapter is, John 17. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed. You know, it's exciting to me because it's personal. It's personal. Because verse 20 says this. Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. Anybody in here believe in Jesus, have confessed Jesus out loud? There's four of us. Well, he prayed the full for, for the four of us. It says in Hebrews 7.13 that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. This is really a cool revelation to know that right now the Lord is praying that you get this message. And I get it too. By the way, I'm preaching myself today. He's praying for us. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's praying for you. Yeah, come on. He's praying for us right now. He's praying for us. But before he prayed for the disciples, and I, had, I shared this earlier today, and I, I just want to share this. When I've been in this passage, John 13 through 17, as Jesus is preparing his disciples to move into a hostile world, and he's given him, he's given him the secrets of the kingdom, and he's telling them it's not going to be easy, and the world's going to hate you because the world hated me, and, and people are going to even kill you thinking they're doing service to God, and I'm telling you things because I don't want you to stumble. I don't want you to fall away. And, and he's telling these things, and, I'm, I'm, and you've got to abide in my love. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Make your home in my love. Make your permanent address in my love. And he's just like, it's an intimate. It's an intimate, and it's like holy ground to me. This whole series, these, it's like he's preparing us. He's preparing us. He's preparing us to live, and he's preparing us to die in a good way. I told you it was going to be a happy message. So he prays for, he prays for himself before he prays for disciples. John 17, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, the Father said, the Father has come, the hour has come, I'm sorry, glorify your Son. That word glorify actually means to render or esteem as glorious. Jesus is looking at the cross right down the road. He's looking. He's walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's saying, I need you to make me feel esteemed well that I can walk this out right now. I need you to glorify me. I need you like, to help me feel this is a glorious moment in my life because I'm not looking forward to dying on the cross. Are, are you with me? This is the cup of suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going, man, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But if this is the only way, not my will, but yours be done. He says, I want to glorify you, Father, but will you glorify me? This is both a present glorification, but it's also the ultimate glorification, to be with the Lord, right? And so he says, um, that the Son may glorify you, even as you have gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him, which is us and his disciples, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life. This is a great scripture. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, I, as I've prepared for this message, I got to tell you, this was a hard one for me, not because of the issue of suffering, but because I love the topic of glory. The glory of God, the King of glory, the, even the glory of man is worthy of weeks of sermons. And so I found myself like, there's so many scriptures. You can't hardly go by a scripture without a, a chapter without talking about the glory of God. Now, what, what is glorify? I already said glorify. To glorify means to esteem, esteem as glorious, to magnify him or his magnificence. That you and I actually, as his chosen people, we, our lives are actually to, de- to declare the famous grace of heaven. The, 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 I'm having a hard time with words the second hour. The majestic goodness of God, our lives are like to glorify him. We're to make him known. We're to make him famous. Your life is to make him famous. That's, that's the truth of it. Your, your life, the way you live your life is, if people are supposed to look at you, look at me and go, he couldn't do that on his own. She couldn't be that uh, awesome. There must be something else behind them. That's why Peter says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you, right? And so our lives, in fact, even the way you eat and you drink is to give glory to God. Are you kidding me? That's what he says. First Corinthians is what he says, whether they eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're uh, doing the, the uh, Santa cop thing. By the way, we didn't announce that. Santa cop is next weekend. If you signed up, thank you. Don't forget. Friday and Saturday, we're two different parties. So I hope you can come. We're ministering to the seniors and, and this is actually in obedience to God. We're hoping that the seniors experience the glory of God through us. That's what it says in Matthew 5, right? Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Are you guys all with me still? Stay with me. This is, this is like I know. A lot of this is not new, but I'm going to get there. How many enjoy the cold weather right now? I, um, I'm not complaining. I will not complain. This is a covenant I've made with Brenda. We won't complain this winter, but it's cold. But one, <laughs> I'm not whining. I'm just telling the truth. Uh, but the one thing I love in where we are and where we live, we, we miss this wind tunnel in the winter. And it's blowing here at the office, and I go home, and our trees are covered with frost. And it's almost like the shiny glory of God in creation on our trees. And I love this time of year when the sun goes up and goes down. The, all the mountains are pastel, pastel colors. It's like, whoa. See, that's describing. The creation is describing the glory of God. You were created to describe the glory of of God. It says in Psalm 19, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. You and I are on the earth in this hour to shine. 
Jesus is headed to the cross to suffer. His willingness to suffer on your behalf brought glory to the Father. And here's the question that I think uh, we, we should ask ourselves. And I'm asking myself, am I living to be highly esteemed by man or highly esteemed by God? John, John 5 says something really important. I got these two things turned around a little bit. John 5, 44 says, Jesus says to the religious leaders, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? How can you believe? How can you have faith? How can you experience who I am if you're seeking praise for man rather than praise from God? This, this is... I'm, I'm talking to the high schoolers right now because I know you're watching. I know high school. I remember high school. I, I had some high schoolers that were believers. Brenda was one of them. I wasn't a believer. And, and Brenda and her group were, were believers. And uh, I won't say what church they went to, but I thought their church was a cult because they never told me what they believed and they were my friends. Because the peer pressure to not... Tell them, people, that Jesus loves you, and if you don't believe in him, you're not going to go to heaven. The peer pressure is so strong, it was better to stay quiet to fit in. Anybody remember those days? And so I didn't know, Brenda, Brenda and I kind of talk about this and laugh about it a little bit, because she said, that's amazing, you thought we were a cult? And I said, well, yeah, you guys kind of all hung together, and you never told me what you believed, and so I didn't, and they were my best friends. So there's this fear of man that keeps us from being the bold witnesses that God's calling us to be. And, and the fear of being rejected, I think, is one of the greatest fears we struggle with. Tanner, I uh, remember when he was about, well, his first grade, um, we had a t- parent-teacher conference. And uh, anybody gone to any parent-teacher conference recently? A few parents in here? And uh, it was the first one for him, first grade. We didn't do the kindergarten thing yet, so, or then, so... Um, teacher actually asked if I would come with Brenda, and I think it's because she knew I was a pastor and she was concerned because there was a girl on the playground that was, was telling her mom when she came home, who was another teacher in the school, that Tanner was telling her that if she didn't believe in Jesus, she wasn't going to go to heaven. And there was another place called hell. And, and, she, and, he, and she went home and told her mom that, who's another teacher. That teacher told Tanner's teacher. And Tanner's teacher now is telling Brenda and I, this is not cool. Will you go talk to Tanner? And I said, absolutely. We'll talk to Tanner. <laughs> so we went and talked to Tanner. And uh, the one thing I said, I said, Tanner, is your motive love? And he said, oh, yeah, Dad, I, I just want her to know Jesus. Because Jesus loves her. And I said, keep doing it. <laughs> keep telling her. This week, I wa- or last week, I listened to a podcast of a pastor in Nepal, Nepal named Pastor Chitria. And um, just a joyful guy about my age. He ser- he's already served about 11 years in jail for speaking about Jesus and, and leading people to Christ. And he's a, he builds up the church in Nepal. And he was saying in this podcast, he said, in 1960, there were only six Christian churches. In 1990, there were 150. And today, there are over 12,000. God is moving. 
And in Nepal, the law forbids people to evangelize. If you convert in their law, if you convert someone to Christ, you go to jail for three years. If you convert someone and baptize them, you go to jail for five years. And yet the Christians are evangelizing. They're winning the loss. They're bold. They're, incur- they're courageous. They're enthusiastic. They want to serve the Lord. And this is what he said. They've experienced the Lord's love and they want to serve him. They ask seven questions before they baptize him. Before they baptize him, these are the seven questions. Are you willing to face the rejection of your family? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to lose your friends? Are you willing to bring your tithes and offerings to honor the Lord? Are you willing to forgive those who persecute you and share the love of Jesus with them? Are you willing to live and die for Jesus Christ? I read those and I go, I wonder if I'm even saved. (laughs) My goodness. So much different than our experience in America. I I want you to see... When Jesus prayed this prayer, something he's putting before us that I think we're supposed to long for to help us in the places of difficulty and suffering. Go back to this. He says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You know, we talk about that. Scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him. And we say, we're that joy. And I think that's part of it. But the joy that was set before him, the also was the glory. He wanted to get back into the glory. Let's talk about that for a minute. Four things quickly from the scripture. We see Jesus possessed a certain glory with the father before his incarnation. The glory is a glory that comes from the Father. Jesus did not possess this glory on earth. Jesus wants us to see and be with him in his heavenly glory. John seven twenty four. later in this book, he says, Father, I desire that they also, that you and me and the disciples, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of of the world. So he's putting something before us. There's something that is supposed to be in our hearts that we're longing for that will give us the grace to suffer rejection, suffer persecution, even suffer the, the threat of death. Have any of you like me wondered like, what would I do if they said renounce Jesus or be beheaded? Anybody here? Just you and I? Oh, there's a few others. Like I'm going... I hope I would, I hope I would, I hope I would say yes, I'll follow Jesus. Well, there's something, there's a motive behind that yes that I want us to see. There's a glory that's on the other side of that yes I want us to get a hold of. We get a glimpse of it on this Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. And, and Peter actually record, records this to Mark. Mark writes it down. 
And it says he was transfigured before them. That word metamorpho, which is the word we get to, to, to describe the change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Jesus was transformed before them. His garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launder on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Just a side note that I like to think about. When you get to heaven, um, do you wonder, like, will I recognize people? Like the Apostle Paul, will I see him? I think, I believe, from this scripture is one of the places, I believe you'll know everybody in heaven. How could that be? We're talking about heaven. We're talking about an infinite God that all of a sudden we're in the glory. Say, in the glory. All of a sudden, we're in the glory. John, Peter, and James are in the glory. Nobody tells them that's Peter or that's Elijah and Moses. They just know him. That's one cool thing about being in the glory. All of a sudden, we're going to know one another in a way we never knew each other. And this is incredible because verse 7 says, Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, Listen to him. Another, Peter later records this in First Peter chapter 2. He says, the majestic glory, called the Father, the majestic glory. This is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. The apostle Paul encounters the glorified Christ in Acts chapter 26. He's telling King Agrippa, verse 13, he says, I'm on my way to Damascus. I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me, and those who were journeying with me. And we had fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the glory showing up in time. Jesus is in his glory. He brings the glory. It blinds Saul. Because the bright is so light. The glory of God. Daniel talks about it. Revelation 1 talks about the glory of Christ. So we see, I want to I see the fruit of that. So the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, do not lose heart when you're going through hard times. Our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now look at this. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Just... Think about it. I don't know. I was going to show a video. Caleb's got it. I actually have time this hour. Anybody in the room gone through any kind of suffering at all? If you, if you did that and stayed in a place of not blaming God, but stayed in a place of praising God in the midst of it, if you like, it, it doesn't mean like you're weird, like you're a masochist or something. But, but if you stayed in that place of like, I trust you, Lord. I don't like this. This feels really bad. This hurts. This, this, this sucks. If you stayed in that place... And didn't like blame him. But you said Lord I want you glorified. Even in this suffering. There's something on that side. The reward on that side. 
that's greater in comparison to anything you've ever suffered. I wonder sometimes, as I think about the church in China, the underground church in China, and I, I think about our brothers and sisters that go through hard times, you know, like, I, I don't, haven't had that opportunity to suffer. I, don't, I hope I never do, but if I do, I, I, I just want to be able to say, there's a glory on the other side that makes it worth it. A surpassing glory that makes this side of suffering seem little. I'm not going to show that video. I'm, gonna have, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to have a hard time connecting with some powerful video, but I'm not going to show it. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in America. I don't know what's, what's coming down the pike. I'm not a, a gloom and doom guy. I have great expectation the church is going to rise up in this hour and be amazingly glorious. But here's what the Lord is doing in this heart at the time. All that is happening is happening so that we become more heavenly minded, not earthly secure. Can you guys say that out loud with me? All that is happening is happening so that we become more heavenly minded, not earthly secure. Because this is not our home. First Peter, he says it this way in chapter 4. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. At the edge of July, many Afghani pastors and ministry leaders actually publicly registered their names in their ministries with the Iraqi government. When questioned, why would they do that? They said, we want our children and grandchildren to know that we publicly serve Christ and we're not afraid to say so. Unbeknownst to them, that democratic government got overthrown, and now the Taliban has the lists. Do you know what Taliban means? Taliban means student. Student of who? Allah. And what does the Quran tell the Muslims to do? Kill the infidels. You know what disciple means? Student. Learner. And what does Jesus tell us to do? Pray for those who persecute you. Do you see the power, the, the war of dark versus light? The devil versus God? The antichrist spirit versus the Christians? This, this is what we are in the, the middle of. And these Afghan, uh, these Taliban are going door to door to door trying to find all of the people on the list and anybody else that worked with the democratic Afghan government or the troops of America. And after this debacle of our current administration to hand over billions of dollars of weaponry, don't you think that's demonic? It's totally demonic. It's a setup by the power of darkness. And they're coming against God's people. 
And they're coming against uh, other nations. And we're in this place on this side of it where, you know, when you open when you watch the news, you know what's happening. But when you open your word, you know why it's happening. And so door to door, they're going door to door. They won't be on the mainstream media, but they're slaughtering women, men and children in Afghan right now when they find them. The Taliban is. And so here we are. You also want to hear the Afghans are coming out. Some of this on that video, but the Afghans are also coming out and they're saying, we're going to stand up. We don't want to leave Afghanistan. There's many of them staying there saying, we're going to be witnesses for Christ. You won't, you won't hear that on mainline media either. Here in America, we're arguing over masks. And I'm saying it's time for us to get the DNA of the Christians in the book of Acts. They, they knew something, that nothing would separate them from the love of God. Neither war, nor conflict, nor persecution, or even death. For them to live is Christ, and to die is... Do we believe that? I'm hoping I do. I know the church and the Christian is the bullseye of Satan's agenda. And I'm going to say, and you may not agree with me, and that's okay, I love you anyway, that the elite who is set on a one world government, who is set on a one world currency, is moving hard to make that happen. They know, like Hitler know, knew, that it can't happen if there's Christian values governing the land. Hitler said, we must scrub the nation of godly values. For us to become the kind of nation I want us to be, this is Hitler, we must scrub the Christian values. Why? Because Christians believe in a higher authority. We're not going to obey man. We're going to obey, come on, you guys, stay with me. We're going to obey God. And if you don't see it, wake up. It's time for us to wake up, armor up, not to shoot bullets, but to pray and witness and share the good news. We need to keep looking up. Now is not the time to stand or shut up or stand down or bow down to the culture around. Now is the time for us to press in and pray through. For Christ has already accomplished everything on our behalf. Now it's our opportunity to live for him. Amen. Amen. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Since God is for you, Christ in you is your hope for, for glory. Let's stand. Next time we speak on suffering, Carla gets to do it. (laughs) I really, really honestly, you guys believe that this is an hour the Lord is refining the church. I really do believe that he's preparing us for a wedding day. We're, We're just, we're fixed on Jesus. 
We're going to obey him. We're going to serve him. We're going to magnify him. We're going to live for him. He is our purpose in life. I, I believe that's what's happening in this hour. And I think America needed some hard things to go through for the church to become who the Lord wants the church to be. And so let's just like posture our hearts and just, I mean, this, the, the response to me, for me is like, Lord, I want to be that kind of believer that is not afraid of suffering for the sake of Jesus. I want to be that kind of believer that will speak boldly the truth. I'm not going to acquiesce, God. When you tell me to share the good news of Jesus, I'm going to share it. I'm not afraid to say there's a heaven and hell. And that Jesus, you're the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father but through you. There's no other way. I ask for the boldness of the Holy Spirit to come upon the church. The courage would, be, uh, would give us a, this intestinal fortitude to press through, to be part of this lion-hearted church, unconquerable, unstoppable, winning the lost, where you are ushering in hundreds of people into the kingdom of God. Anybody want up for that prayer? Lord, we surrender our hearts to you. We, Lord, I know, I don't, I just, I'm asking for your mercy over America, but I'm asking for your mercy on the planet. Show forth your glory upon your people. May we shine with the glory of God. May our faces even take on the radiance of joy. I just come into agreement, Lord, that this is our hour to shine. Our hour to run the race. Our hour to win the lost. I ask God that you give us a hunger for your glory. I ask God that you give us a hunger for your glory. In Jesus' name. Before I dismiss, I want to say one other thing. Um, you know, prophetically, the Lord gave us the name Northgate. Many of you have heard me tell the story. Um, but we had a significant power of the Holy Spirit that hit our church, and it changed our DNA as a people. And, uh, and we knew that we were supposed to like pursue the presence and power of God with new purpose and new direction. And we knew that our old name, which was Crossroads, actually was rebuked by the Lord in Jeremiah 6. When, it, when the Lord told Israel, you asked for the ancient path and you're staying at the crossroads. You're not going into your destiny. You're not stepping into your destiny. And the elders, we all agreed we needed a new name for the new DNA that happened in our church. And a prophetic word came, and it was Ezekiel 44.4, which basically said the prophet, he says, Ezekiel says, I came by the way of the north gate. Somebody say north gate. And the, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And I could not stand. And, and I, I believe... I believe that we have touched manifest glory as a church from time to time. The presence of God come. People like experience like even to get fall down, which is kind of weird, right? I, I know that that Brendan and I experienced that. And it's kind of, it's a, it's a taste. The Holy Spirit is giving us a taste of a future glory. He's saying, you, you need to have this longing in your heart for the future glory. This longing will help you go through the difficult times in life. When we move into the building, you know, we're going to sing and talk about the King of glory. Let, oh, lift up your heads, all ye gates, that the King of glory, say King of glory, glory. that the King of glory may come in. Now, I just want us to have the hunger for that reality. I, I just want us to have the hunger for that reality. So Lord, 
position us to receive more of your glory. This is what Moses said. I want to see more. Position us to receive more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. If you need prayer, there'll be people out there. Otherwise, make sure everybody around you knows they're absolutely amazing, okay? (laughs) Okay.